All right, here we are, five episodes in. This is episode number five of the Backlash podcast. My name is Jeff. I'm with Team Rhino Outdoors. Tonight, I'm joined by Pete Rich from Pete Rich Guide Service. How are you doing tonight, Pete? Doing good, Jeff. How are you? Good. And then the other guest I have on would be like my co-host or my old school co-host. That would be Brad Hoppy <laughs> with Musky Mayhem Tackle. Brad, good very, to have you back tonight. Very old. No problem, man. I love being here. So speaking of old school, that's been the kind of the topic for the last <laughs> couple episodes. Pete, how old are you? Me? I'm 41. All right. I'm at 42 this August. So finally, we got a younger guest than me, which is <laughs> fantastic because I'm not exactly young. Or you interviewing Louis Spray last week or something? No, but I mean, <laughs> you know, Brad's over there getting his moon charts off of... Uh, John Alden Knight's stuff, like in a little pamphlet, you know. At you least still use a book. He, he still uses oh. a book. <laughs> you don't have an app for that. <laughs> they they do, but they don't have the John Alden Knight uh, app. That's the problem that I have. Uh, I might have to go back to paper then. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't I, realize I, there was a better moon chart app. It, it's actually pretty pretty different. Um, it, it isn't. It isn't a huge difference, but it's what I like, and that's what I use, and it's kind of funny. I'll end up with, like, three of those books, one in a boat, one in the truck, one in the house, and um, so, yeah, that's that's my old-school habit, I guess, and uh, so, I've picked on it about three episodes now. <laughs> well, we got to keep tradition alive. That's right. Right, exactly. That's what it's about. <laughs> I'm starting to think that Brad's sponsored by them, whereas, you know, over here, <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm just a, sponsored I'm by the, paycheck. yeah, exactly. He, he gets, he gets pimped every time he mentions them on, on this podcast. Well, Brad, you need to get, you need to get with the old Knight family and tell them to figure out a way how to make an app. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. It would, <laughs> it would be handy. And like I said on the other ones too, um, you know, I do use some of the ones on my phone, but I don't know. I find myself going back to books. It, it's, the same way, like with a newspaper, I would never read it on my phone, um, but I would read paper. I still like magazines. Um, I'm the exact same way. I I think some of it is my age, obviously, but I I don't know. I just don't like reading the screen if I don't have to. Well, they're just getting electricity out there in Western Minnesota, right? Yeah, exactly. We've been on. <laughs> we're off the grid out here. <laughs> All right. Well. Pete, why don't you give us a little bit of background on your company for the listeners out there kind of unfamiliar with you? I know that you're becoming more recognized in the muskie community with, uh, you know, the work that you've done with muskie hunter. And obviously you've done a bunch of schools and clinics. You could talk about that stuff too quick if you want. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, uh, hopefully some guys saw me on your, uh, YouTube show from last year as well. Um, for guys that don't know, uh, Pete Rich Guide Service in Hayward, Wisconsin, I, fish pretty much all the lakes up here that you know have muskies in them uh definitely try to to gear things more for uh you know the, the trophy catch but uh that's one great thing about hayward is we do have a wide variety of lakes that we can choose from on any given day um you know for me i've been dabbling i'm sure if anybody does know who i am they're sick of hearing me talk about trolling um but you know one thing uh that we have been doing is doing more trolling you know kind of Kind of nice summertime trolling, casting early season, casting late, uh, and then kind of that mid-season doing a bunch of trolling up here. So we kind of have opportunities for everybody, people who've never fished before, can go out, 
hopefully get a big fish in the boat who are in the lap for trolling and guys who've been at it for a long time, you know, pretty much doing everything that uh, you need to do to catch muskies. Well, the trolling, the trolling aspect definitely opens a window for uh, all kinds of people. There's no doubt. I mean, I, I try to use that trolling in my guiding as well for, um, for the youth, as well as some of the people that can't physically uh, cast all day anymore. So that's a good thing, Pete. It, it is. And honestly, so the two biggest fish I had in the boat in 2018 and the two biggest fish I had in the boat in 2017. So all four of those fish were people's first muskie. One was casting and the other three uh, were trolling. And that's, that's pretty, pretty unbelievable when you, uh, you know, start talking about the biggest fish you might have in the boat for the year. And, you know, the last four have all been people's first muskies and just kind of seeing that reaction. And it's, uh, it's a lot of fun because some of those people would have never had a chance to catch a fish uh, casting. So it is, it, like you said, that does open up that opportunity with trolling involved for anybody to be able to catch a fish. Right. What times of the year are you talking about concentrating more on that, Pete? Uh, you know, so for me, um, quick backstory, you know, I think in like 2016, I put like five or 600 hours on my kicker motor. Um, and I just trolled, trolled, trolled. Anytime I had free time, I trolled. Um, anytime I could talk anybody into trolling, we were trolling. And, you know, I definitely kind of saw highs and lows within that. You know, for me here, the majority of my lakes aren't Cisco based. Um, we do get some fish trolling in June. It's nothing like those heavy Cisco based lakes. Um, but what we do get is we get a really good trolling bite mid-July to mid-August. Jeff was a part of that last year. Um, and then for me, it just becomes more of a personal thing that I love trolling in November. Um, sucker fishing is great in November, too. But, you know, once those water temps dip below 48 in the fall, um, unless somebody specifically says, I don't want to troll or I want to sucker fish, once water temps dip below 48 in the fall, I'm trolling every day. Right. And then kind of those, kind of those in-betweens, you know, here, it, it, fish are just shallow. You know, our weeds on most of our lakes don't grow deeper than seven feet. So when those fish are up, it's not like I can troll over weed beds and, and this and that. Our, our structure is so shallow in the, you know, with weed growth that it kind of is either casting or trolling in a lot of those situations. So let me ask you this, Pete, if uh, you were to steer somebody that's out there that's maybe not trolled very much, um, what are some of the first things you would uh, consider if you were going to start becoming a troller? Number one, and it's probably the most overlooked thing, this isn't like the number one rule of trolling, but it's, I think, the most overlooked thing, get a trolling leader. <laughs> the amount of guys who are throwing on their 12-inch leader to go trolling, uh, it's just, you know, fish roll, they wrap. So that would be the biggest thing in just getting started is make sure you do pick up a trolling leader. You can you can still use your rod if need be. Um, you know, you can keep track of how much feet of line is going out. But, you know, one pass across the spool is typically 10 feet. Um, so you can roughly count the line that way. Um, but then your starting location is going to be, for me, when I first got into it, it was literally about starting on the structure that I would normally be casting the structure that I was maybe catching fish on casting a week or two weeks earlier, and then literally just sliding off the edge of that and starting in areas that I had confidence already. You know, if I'm out fishing and I got a, you know, I got a good cowgirl bite and all of a sudden 
that's dead and nobody's catching fish in those spots. Those fish didn't go half a mile away. They literally just slid out and are on the edges of those structures that we were already fishing. Makes sense. Um, there's no doubt. I spend a lot of time trolling in the month of June and I know we've talked briefly about that at yeah. the show one time. Um, yeah, I want to get I'll, I'll be doing that. <laughs> I'll be doing that Saturday. You know, that's nice. Uh, it's my go-to thing. I, I know Jeff and I were going to work on one of his uh, YouTube uh, shows. He's going to come over and give me a couple days. So hopefully we can produce when he gets here. Um, yeah, and it, you guys it, are going. I mean, you guys are going out in the basin right away, aren't you? Correct. Correct. You know, and, and the big thing about that for us is, um, as those fish. I mean, I've said it in the last couple podcasts, but. You know, uh, when they first take off after the spawn and they're cruising around, and it's an opportunity, the largest fish in the in the lake, really. So yeah, it is, and that's and that's true. Here, that's true here too. We just don't have that concentration of you know, the the Cisco's tend tend to suspend above you know the deepest parts of the lake. I'm I'm assuming over there they do too. At least over here they do. In the yep. deeper parts of the basin, over those soft bottoms where insects are hatching, and the muskies just basically sit above them and wait. That's exactly right. Um, it's amazing how many fish I'll see right on the surface as well. It, it really is. <laughs> They're just cruising around. So it's fun. It really is. And cool. like you said, that's where the big girls tend to be. Yep. Yep, for sure. So, Pete, let's talk a little bit more about equipment. You said that um, obviously a leader is important. How important is it, do you feel, to have a line counter reels? Um. Gosh, you know, I mean, for me... That's that's all I'm using because I want to be able to duplicate my pattern as much as possible. You know, if I'm say I'm trolling in the middle of the summer, you know, I got to get my speed dialed in, which, you know, as those water temperatures warm up, you know, typically in July and August, I'm between four and five miles an hour. And sometimes I have as little bit as 20 feet of line out. So, you know, if if that's the case, if I'm running 20 feet of line, I can almost eyeball that you know, with, without a line counter. However, if you're going to troll over structure, you know, take the, take the difference between a 12 inch matlock and a 10 inch matlock on at four miles an hour with 20 feet of line, that 12 inch matlock is going to be six to seven feet down at the same speed to get the 10 inch matlock down the same depth. I've got to cut that back to 16 feet of line. So if I'm trolling over stumps or cribs, then it's really, really important to get as close to your cover as you can by knowing, you know, the feet of line you have out. And in November, it's almost, you almost couldn't do it without it. Cause you know, I'm running, you know, I might be running a 14 inch Jake on 90 feet of line. And, you know, so you can't eyeball that. And that, and, and that's as the water gets colder, especially that strike zone gets smaller so being able to know exactly where you're at in the water column with the line counter becomes really, really important. You know, during the summer, the strike zone's big. You can err on the side of, you know, being too shallow and fish will move and eat. I, I know that it was pretty prevalent that you know, you know, you know for sure where your baits are running. When we were out with that, uh, we were out trolling, I think it was for the fall muskie bashed in Treelands. And yep. you literally like, we're going to get snagged in three, two, one, <laughs> you know, like to me, that was just, uh, I mean, it was impressive that you not only knew the structure as well, that well, but you also knew exactly where that bait was in the water column. 
Well, and I, and I talk about it in my seminars. I talk about, you know, you mentioned some of the schools we do. Um, I talk about it at the schools too, is, you know, trolling is so much more than just driving around with lures out. And I'm sure Brad can attest to that. It is for me personally, it is mentally exhausting after I wrap up an eight to 10 hour trolling day. Physically, I'm not tired at all. Obviously I've been sitting there making jokes and (laughs) driving around, but um, mentally, because the amount of focus you have to pay attention to on your electronics is it's, it's way more mind consuming, let's say, than casting because the, the advantage the caster has over the troller is your ability to trigger fish. You can manipulate a bait, you can speed it up, slow it down, rip it, pause it, and most importantly, you can figure eight. The advantage the troller has over the caster is your ability to cover water. However, to even that playing field, to be able to trigger fish the way the caster does, you really need to have precise lure presentations when you're structure trolling. And, you know, I think that's probably where a lot of that comes in because like when you and I were out, Jeff, I mean, I know exactly where my bait is on my sonar. So like when you see that stump coming through, it's like, Oh, all right. We're unless I missed it or it's going to be there. And like I said, you can count it down because I know exactly where my lure is on my graph at all times. That's good stuff. And what, what uh, do you choose to use for electronics? Pete? Uh, I, I right now have the helix uh, gen twos. Um, and, you know, so kind of getting those things dialed in, um, you know, the, I, I think the biggest advantage of somebody who's trolling, especially, is with the Gen 3, they, they upgraded that side imaging to where right. that side imaging on your Gen 3 will shoot out over 100 feet. If you got a Gen 2 and you have your side imaging set at 80 feet, you're literally not reaching 80 feet. I have mine set at 60 to 65 because that's as far as they shoot out. It doesn't matter you know, how much water you got to the side of you. That's just the, the, the limitation to that unit. Right. I, I just picked up a three this year. Um, I've been running a two obviously, but um, I, I think we mentioned this earlier in a different podcast and how incredible that technology is. It's just totally changed the way we think as fishermen. It, it, and it, it gives you, and I, you know, I don't want to keep referring back to my seminars, but I talk about this in them too. You know, the, the two schools Ryan McMahon and I did at uh, the Twin Cities this winter and then down in Lake Geneva this spring. Um, I did a segment in both of those about your sonar. And that side imaging, down imaging sonar, when you can combine them all into one, you're literally like getting put into that fish's world. It's one thing to see it on a GPS map and say, oh, there's a point here. It comes out. Well, what's the complexity of that point? Is there a rock point at the tip of it? Is there a patch of cabbage in the middle of it? Is it just bald and has really no fish holding structure to it at all? And getting the ability to understand and interpret what your side imaging, down imaging, and sonar are telling you will really kind of even that playing field for are you fishing where the fish are? Because you can't catch one if they're not there. So understanding what holds a fish and then being able to see it, it really kind of opens up that underwater world to what you have right there on your screen no doubt and the other cool thing about it is is now you can duplicate that on other spots as well just you know yeah. basically like a line counter rail you're duplicating the distance yeah. from the boat um you're doing the same thing with side imaging it's incredible yeah you know and the you, one thing go oh go ahead i'm sorry well go i i didn't mean to interrupt i was just going to ask if you've played with panoptics at all 
I haven't. It looks pretty. I, I'm waiting for that initial price to come down. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't know, remember how when the helixes first came out there, like you know, twenty five hundred bucks. Now you can get one for like twelve. Yeah. But yeah, and that's. But they. they I saw somebody uh, had a musky hunter article about that, I believe, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it was pretty bad. I'm being able to put that on a trolling motor head, turn it. Not only can you see the interaction with fish, but you can literally watch your lure go back and know exactly how deep it is even more precise than with a line counter yeah it's amazing if i remember right i think that article is by mike olson i think that's who did that one okay, okay. i think i i think we have access to get to him brad sometime we'll get him on and we'll we'll talk to him about uh about it and get it get yeah, some, that, you know it, it was intri- it was intriguing it kind of made you just kind of like think a little bit differently about your electronics it was it was a really neat article well, I do know um, there's a guide up on uh, Vermilion the last last year. I guess he was playing with uh, with two pan optics mounted off of his trolling motor so that he had a little broader view. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty remarkable, um, just a little bit and pieces that I'd heard. So, I um, I definitely am interested, but like you said, I mean, especially if you wanted to buy it with the ice package, I think you're north of three grand. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> and, and, you know, I always, I always try to, do, you know, I had a, had a buddy one time tell me that this is a buddy I used to hunt with, you know, I'd be like, oh man, if I should, I should get those new broadheads. And his, his thing is always, you know, it, when it came to hunting is, is that, is buying that going to put more deer on the ground, you know, and in fishing, is that going to put more fish in the net? If the answer is yes, then it's worth, you know, looking into if they, you know, if, is that technology so much better than side imaging? that it will 100% put more fish in the boat. I, I don't know. It'll be really interesting after a couple of years with the guys that are using it uh, hardcore to hear, you know, how much more that has changed the way they fish. Totally agree. That's good stuff to, to hear about. And uh, I don't know, hopefully I can see it work sometime and kind yeah. of those judgments on it. But... My problem is I never get in anybody else's boat. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a bad deal. It is. It is. I need. I need it's friends with nicer boats. <laughs> that means you're. Uh, that means you're busy, Pete. I have been. I have been. It's been. Uh, it was. Uh, this is my third year of doing this. You know, exclusively full time. Um, you know, prior to this, I had a full time job, and the the part time guide business got to the point where I was missing too much work <laughs> for my boss to put up with it, and I was turning down too many guide trips to continue. So it was. Uh, this is year three and it's been, it's been awesome. It's been, uh, it's been a great, you know, adventure, I guess you could say, but it's, uh, business keeps growing. And, and, you know, that's why I like to do these schools and and, and stuff like that is, you know, just trying to get out there as much as possible with at the same time, returning valuable information, you know, kind of like you guys with the podcast and just reaching out to people to help, you know, I think the one knock must be fishermen get, and I think it's, I think it's more in like, you know, the old, way of thought and a brad not brad old but maybe a little bit older than that is <laughs> <laughs> is i'm going to keep all the knowledge for myself then you have to come with me to use it where you know i i know jeff has a different thought process i'm i think you do too brad and i know i do where it's let's share as much information as possible get more people involved in the sport because the more people that are involved the more we just have a bigger base of people to communicate with share with and just it builds the brand hands down i mean i i've <laughs> in the guiding that i've done and um 
other ways. I, I share everything. I don't hide yeah. anything. And it's amazing what that does back to you. I've seen some other guides where they hide everything. They don't want yep. to share anything. Um, it backfires on them. You know, it they're does. not around there tomorrow. You know what I mean? Yep. So No, I, I absolutely do. I, I've seen that as well. And, uh, and I think that's dying, you know, with social media and, you know, in podcasts and, and just all this stuff. And I think schools are probably, you know, it's not like me and Ryan are the only two people doing schools. I mean, they're kind of popping up all over the place. And I think it's, I think there's a shift in, you know, one, we have the best equipment we've ever had Two, we have, you know, the, the best lures we ever had, you know, it just musky fishing almost seems like it's at its peak where we've got information being shared like crazy. We've got awesome equipment. And, you know, it's these poor fish are getting the heck beat out of them. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't feel like that. But uh, I think on a day-in, day-out basis, your average angler is more informed than, than ever before. And, you know, I think what that does for guys like us who are sharing a lot of information, helping these guys out who aren't on the water, you know, 100 days a summer, let's say, is that kind of forces us to have to, okay, if this is the pattern that these guys would kind of keep having to push in that edge of, all right, what else are these fish doing? What exactly. what you know, is it an old tactic that used to be like everybody did it and now everybody's doing something else? You kind of have to go back to old stuff, you know, getting out suix and fun stuff like that. There's no doubt about it. Now now you're talking old school again. Yep. <laughs> we're going we're going back old school again. We're throwing out suix <laughs> and stuff. If if Musky Mayhem brings back the Billy Finn Bucktail, then we know something's <laughs> then we know something's up. <laughs> Uh, I hope we're more creative than that. <laughs> <laughs> Not that it didn't work. I think we're going to have to find a couple of guests that are like 25 years old because this stuff just keeps getting older and older every time we talk. <laughs> there has to be at least a couple musky fishermen that aren't what we would consider to be old school, right? <laughs> they're, they're out there. There's no doubt. Well, we're going to have to find them. <laughs> So if you're if you're listening to this podcast and you can bring a younger thought process to the podcast, shoot us a, shoot us an email at um, backlashpodcast at gmail dot com. We'd like to talk to you. Exactly. Uh, anyways, yeah, we're not done yet tonight, so let's just uh, let's talk to Pete now. One Pete, one thing we've talked about a couple times on this podcast already, and I I struggle with it, and there's no right or wrong answer to it. Is when it when you're on the water for the day. W- what triggers you to either change your tactics or change the spots that you're fishing? Like that sometimes that can be pretty critical. I feel to your success or failure on the day. And do you, I mean, do you have a certain thought process you go through? Are there certain things you look for? Is there a certain time frame you're looking for? Let's just say, for example, you're since, since we got Brad on, we'll talk about cowgirls. Let's say for example, you're throwing cowgirls and you've been catching them on cowgirls up until that day. I mean, how long are you going to play it out before you try to make a change? So I, I, for me, it's kind of tricky. And, and I'll, I'll try to answer that quickly in two ways. One is if I'm guiding, uh, you know, people probably are at a lesser, you know, experience level, we'll say. Um, and so for me in that situation, I tend to almost feel like we got to ride out the pattern because there's some things that people just can't do. Also, you, you, you don't want to be experimenting, you know, so I guess what I'm saying with that is if you're a beginner, don't get caught chasing the pattern, fish what you're confident in and, and hope you can grind out that one bite. If I'm out fishing with a buddy, my dad, you know, someone who, you know, is a, is a really solid stick and I feel we can do 
everything, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to ride it out as long as possible. But you know, if I was catching fish on cowgirls on, you know, Pete's bar on the Chippewa flowage, let's say, I, I don't have to go out to the, the abyss. I don't need to go pick out the trolling gear. I need to either give them something that is going to contrast that action. You know, say I was burning cowgirls early September, all of a sudden that's done. Um, I might go to something that's quick, but doesn't come to the boat as fast, you know, like a, a quickly worked glide bait that's going to have that frantic action working side to side. And if I kind of go through my progression of contrasting actions and sizes, then I'll just simply, simply start either sliding out or up for me. It's hard to slide up because my weeds are in two to four to five, six foot of water. So for me, that typically starts with them just moving out. Um, but I think in a, in a quick scenario, it, my first change is going to be speed. And then my second change is going to be the action of the lure I'm giving them. I, you know, there's been plenty of nights, especially, you know, we got a full moon rolling in and you know, I'm getting jacked for that sunset bite. You know, all three people might be throwing a cowgirl, just different sizes or maybe just different colors. Um, in that situation, if I got three people in the boat, all three of us are going to be fishing something different. And I'm going to arrange my boat, too, with the lures to where we're fishing more efficiently. You know, I might put the person up front might be smoking, you know, a double showgirl, where then the guy in the middle might be throwing something a little bit slower and bigger. If it was, you know, a blade bite and then me out of the back of the boat, I'm going to throw something completely off the wall in that same presentation. Might be a glide bait, might be a jerk bait, but something that contrasts the actions of the lures in front of me. I think one of the things that maybe I could add to this, Pete, is, and I'm guessing you'll agree completely, um, being in the back of the boat as a guide, um, that's where the experimenting mostly happens. Yes. Really, ultimately, I mean, the guide trip isn't about me catching fish. Correct. It's about getting those clients on fish. And um, I agree with everything you said there. But, you know, the neat thing about being a guide and, and being on the water the way that you are as a guide, um, you're always kind of in a, in a pattern. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. When the weekend warrior shows up on Friday night and all of a sudden they've got to try to put together a whole brand new pattern for the weekend, you know? Yes. So, I remember those days. They were, yeah. they were great and they were terrible. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you catch the pattern right and you go home feeling like God, you catch the, catch the pattern wrong and you're like, maybe I should have walleye fished. <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt. So, <laughs> So maybe we should talk about that a little bit more because I'm assuming the majority of the guys that are listening to this podcast are probably going to be the weekend warrior types. And yeah. even me, I fit into that. Fortunately, I have a pretty good network of guys that I can talk to so I can sort of get a better idea of what what's going on in a particular area so I don't have to start over you know, from scratch every weekend. But let, let's say it's Friday, Pete. You show up at a lake that you haven't been to in seven to fourteen days. What's the first thing you're going to look what's the first thing you're going to look for to determine like where the muskies are going to be? Well, I, and this we talk about in all the schools we do and everything is these fish are driven by water temperature. You know, I'm using air, you can't see me, I'm using air quotes, um, you know, within, within, you know, generalities. And, you know, these fish are going to try to seek out 70, 68 degrees, at least our Wisconsin fish, Minnesota fish might have a little bit different temperature range, but our fish are going to try to seek out that 68 to 70. And, so I'm going to kind of let water temperature dictate where I go. And what, what I mean by that is right now in Hayward, we're, 
58 degrees. We don't have any 70 degree water. Sunshine's going to bring these things up. If I'm, you know, sun's out right now for the first time in four days, you know, if this sun stays out for three days, I'm going to start fishing, you know, way up shallower where things are warming up quickly. If it's the middle of the summer and it's, you know, 78 degree water and it's been 76 and it's warm, I'm going to start pushing myself out just a little bit. Um, I'm always going to try to fish the biggest, if I just have a couple days, I'm going to start at the, we'll just go into a summer scenario. You know, let's say we're at the end of June, beginning of July, water's like 72 degrees, fish are using, you know, fish should be in the weeds. I'm going to start with the structure, the biggest piece of mid-lake structure associated with the most open water in the system. So I'm going to find the biggest open part of the basin, and I'm going to fish the most predominant pieces of structure that are as close to that as possible. Um, you know, that's that's my starting point almost all the time, except for early in the spring when these fish, at least our Wisconsin fish, are using, you know, those shallow back bays, crappie are spawning, they're up in two, four feet of water where they won't see again until next year when they spawn. Um, and I think it's important to understand your water temperatures a, a little bit and how fish use water temperature. But then, you know, for me, a starting point for the majority of the year is biggest piece of structure associated with the most open water available. I kind of relate that too, Pete, um, you know, where you're saying that they have that access to the open water quickly. Yeah. Um, it's no different than, you know, I used to guide for uh, out West and hunted a lot of mule deer in high country. And it's really cool. You know, the big bucks um, will set themselves up on those ridges. So they have escape routes every different yeah. direction from danger. And yep. I kind of relate that back to the muskies. Um, you know, if they're set up where they have that access to that deep water, they can escape if they feel like they're threatened in any way. So, yep. and, and I think you get as, you know, for me, most of my lakes are crappie, perch, bluegill based, you know, sucker based. Um, as those schools of summertime bait fish make their way around the basin, they, they don't tend to just sit in one spot out in open water. They, they come back into contact with structure. That's why I think why you'll find a hump that's, you know, the size of your house, but surrounded by deep water, got cabbage on it, got rocks on it, you got some complexity to it. It's going to hold a bunch of fish because I think they're almost set up in ambush points for when these roaming bait fish come back to it. You know, um, in open water fishing, it kind of opens your eyes big time to how fish use things. And I don't want to get too far off, but this might be something a lot of people who don't fish all the time quite understand is I'll have waypoints in seemingly nothing. Like there might not be big schools of Cisco's. There might not be big schools of crappie, but I go trolling through there and I get hit in these seemingly random spots throughout the open water, but they become less random because I keep catching fish on those spots over and over. And I think they, I think they'll use structure the same way. And it's almost like they set up where they want to feed and they don't spend their time chasing stuff all over the place. You know, if you want to get big and fat, the key is, is not to move too much. So you kind of just stay and wait for the food to come to you. And I think a lot of those times you'll pick off fish that are, you know, waiting for walleye to slide up at night or, you know, waiting for schools, of crappie or Cisco's to come in along break lines. And, and these fish are, are there, more often than than we realize i would totally agree with that and one of the things that fishing the open water has taught me is exactly what you said but time and time again if i if i hook up with a fish and i will uh lay a waypoint 
I will catch multiple fish on those waypoints. It's it's amazing, and there and there might no, not be anything there. No, there's nothing. I mean, you can't tell. I mean, I've sat there in those spots trying to figure out what is it. Is it a current? Is it a you know hard bottom transition way down there? There's some of them are just nothing, <laughs> and that could be a hundred feet of water. I mean, yes. so it's really bizarre. It is. But um, I don't know. Uh, the transitions, you can't identify them, but don't uh, don't neglect the idea that, you know, the muskies like it there. So use it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And and a lot of those places that I that I troll and have picked up fish, they'll become a part of my casting routine. And, For and sure. it's, you know, because I can catch more fish through triggering than I can through trolling. So, you know, that's the one thing with trolling is those open areas, you kind of can find them. And then you can go back and cast them and catch even more fish. It's very true. Um, I've experienced the same thing and use it. There's, uh, it's pretty amazing. I, I think you brought up some really valid points there. Well, thank you. <laughs> it, you know, it's, it's challenging for a lot of clientele. Uh, I can yes. tell you they're going to look at you and go, what are we doing here? Yes. Well, we're fishing the fish. You know what I mean? It is, yeah. We're not fishing a weed bed. We're not fishing a rock point. We're, we're fishing the fish. And, uh, a lot of times bait fish can be the key to that, but not always. And yeah. Uh, bait fish is a great point for people who don't have the waypoints scattered throughout a lake because they're on the water, you know, 70 days a year. It, it bait fish is a great place to just start, you know, and I tell guys this quite a bit. What that is, is that, you know, when we are fishing a weed bed, we can assume there's bait fish in it. We can assume there's muskies in it. It's hard to side image muskies and bait fish and weeds. They get all jumbled up. You can tell there's weeds in them. But when you're fishing a school of bait fish, you're fishing for what the muskies are eating. They're going to be on that school at some point. Are they here now? Are they going to be here later? Is that school waiting to move into where that muskie is going to intercept them that? I mean, I can, I do a lot of vertical jigging uh, as well. And I do it a lot during the summer, but I've also, you know, the flow is just kind of weird. The Chippewa flow is just kind of weird because we have these real deep pinch points. It's really like hunting whitetails and in big woods where you kind of need to find these neck downs and funnels where fish have to pass through it. I'll vertical jig those spots. And, you know, I can vertical jig a school of bait fish and catch nothing, um, you know, for hours and still be confident in what I was doing. Not go out of there saying, well, that was a waste of time. It's like, no, I was fishing the food. I just, my timing wasn't right. Interesting. That's good stuff. So we're four days into the northern Wisconsin season. Um, yeah. If we're ready to shift gears here, um, can you tell us kind of what you've been doing right now, Pete? Um, I know you've Dolphin. been out fishing some. <laughs> Golfing, yeah. Golfing, no. <laughs> no, I was. I, I guided on opener, and then my dad came up, so I've been kind of putzing around with him. But on, on opener, I went a little bit south. It's still northern opener. Um natural lake uh weed growth was a little further ahead than we are here in hayward and fish were all over the weeds not a lot of big fish we moved i think six or seven in that uh you know 34 to is males males you know up in the weeds first and i think that's what you're going to find in the weeds you know now somebody might text and say pete's an idiot i caught a 52 in the weeds but you know for the most part the females are just getting done spawning they're kind of out recuperating I, I would feel better about you know trying to catch the 30 pounder out in open water right now than I would up shallow. I think just playing the numbers, but you know, action, it's the beginning of season. We all just want to kind of get that fish under our belt. Um, and you're going to find those fish up in the weeds. Our water temps are crazily, I just insanely behind. It is unbelievable. We were out on a 
shallow dark lake today, um, maybe 900 acres and like 20 feet deep. And it was 57 when we got there. Yeah. It, yeah, like it should be 68 right now. Um, you know, that lake might even, you know, be possibly flirting with 70. Uh, two weeks ago on the Chippewa floor, we were 63. Last week, I had a walleye trip out there, and it was 52. It came down 11 degrees, and we've had an insane amount of rain. And so it's, it's a neat opportunity because we're going to get that progression is going to happen real fast weeds are behind fish are behind fish have spawned a long time ago like they're ready they're just kind of waiting for things to pop up to help concentrate them you know what i'm saying like they're up there there's just not a lot yet to concentrate them so it's kind of more cover water look for that active fish um glide baits you know people don't think of being able to cover water with glide baits but you know somebody should be chucking glide baits somebody should be throwing throwing small blades um you know, just covering water, looking for active fish. But it's, uh, you know, looking at the forecast, we've got a lot of 70s coming. I think these things are going to turn around real fast. We've got a lot of, you know, new weed growth that's like four to eight inches tall right now, I'm finding on the down imaging. And as soon as the sun lasts and these water temps start getting up around 65, all that stuff's going to explode. And I think these fish will just kind of flock, you know, just really get themselves into it. You know, because things are so different right now, um, you know, dad and I were going to go out and fish for four hours this afternoon. Um, we got out there and we fished a little bit and, you know, I'm seeing stuff on side image and like, it just doesn't look right. We literally spent the next three hours just driving around the lake, a lake that I know really well, but just driving around to, to get that, you know, to kind of just get that grasp of where we're at when things are so far behind, you know, it, it's tough as a weekend warrior. I was there. Um, but going and driving around and looking at structure, you will learn more about the lake than just fishing, fishing, fishing. It's like, if you were going to go out hunting and you just like, Nope, that's my tree stand. I'm going to go sit there. Yeah. You'll shoot some deer. You'll, you know, you'll have some success, but sometimes hunting just a little bit less to do a little bit more scouting will get you more of what you're really after. I can't and argue I with any of that. I, I, I agree with that completely. And that's easy to say too. You know, I mean, I understand it's easy for me to say when, you know, like I've gotten, you know, time to fish with my dad a little bit here and I'm going to be on the water like the next six days in a row, you know? So it's, it's easy for me to sit here and say that, but it, it really is. Like I know when we first started coming up here, it was before Lake master maps. When I still lived in Illinois, you know, we had a GPS, but it, it had like a fishing hotspots map, which, you know, like there's like hand drawn. And while dad would go to nap during the middle of the day, I'd go out and drive around and hit waypoints all around the edge of the bar. So that when we came out and fished that evening, I had my waypoints to map my way around a bar and it really cut the learning curve. And I, I think guys kind of sit back on their electronics and technology a little too much in the sense of like, all right, I'm fishing. I can see the side imaging, but all right, what's it doing inside of where you're fishing? You know, where you're casting, what does it actually look like up where you're casting? And, and, it, and there's a lot to, uh, I think there's a lot to be said for just getting out and looking at stuff too. There's no doubt, Pete. You know, I've always told people go out there in the morning. Usually in the morning, it's a little bit calmer. And yep. uh, if you got a nice morning, you can get out there right at sunrise. It's calm. You can actually visually see all those things in a, in a lot of our water. I know yep. you're fishing a lot of stained water too, but you can see the weed growth. You can see the inside turns. You can see the points. 
mark them out on your, on your uh, GPS right away in the morning, take an hour or two and do that. Um, from there, guess what? You can go back and hit them later in the day. And hopefully yeah. And score. you know, also Brad, you know, the other thing that I really think it does too, is, you know, we spend, we talked about side imaging and pan optics and all this stuff earlier is okay. Like I know for me, when side imaging first came out, like looking at it was, it was like, I was looking at the surface of the moon. Like, you know, it's right. like, okay, this is awesome, but what the heck is that? Yeah. Side imaging it and then going up and driving it will then also help you when you go to a new body of water on your own body of water, just when you start seeing things on your side imaging, it's like, it's kind of like reaffirming what you thought you were seeing on your side imaging and saying, oh, okay, that's what, because cabbage looks different than milfoil on side imaging. You yeah. know, gravel looks different than sand on side imaging. Um you know, finding all that stuff to where when you see something on your side imaging, you know what you're looking at versus what you think, you know, versus thinking it's that will also put more fish in the boat for, for everybody and understanding, you know, these, these units that we're putting all this money into, cause they are our eyes under the water. <clears throat> no doubt. I, I can kind of relate this back to, um, I remember back in the day, say like 2000, 2001 or something like that. I had a 350A Lowrance in my in my boat, and I started laying waypoints on all the different points and all the different structures that I really was fishing. And um, then all of a sudden, I can't even remember. It must have been like 03-ish, 04, when the first map cards came out. And um, I'm like, huh, for $150, everybody's got everything that I spent all these hours learning, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and side imaging is kind of like that in a sense too. You know? Yep. Um, no, it is. It, it's pretty remarkable the technology for sure. So dollars can buy hours. Put it that way. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, they can. <laughs> but good stuff. Well, guys, a lot of good stuff out of this podcast tonight. Um, I think we probably got to start thinking about wrapping this one up. So, Sounds good to me. So, Pete, um, I guess one you got one last tip to throw at us. I know there's a lot of tips that you've given us in this podcast, and uh, I think Brad can agree. There's been a lot of information in this one. Um, you got yeah you got you, one. You got one last thing to maybe help a guy um, early season. A tip to help him put a muskie in the net. Absolutely, you know, and I, I'll I'll go I'll go kind of the lure route, and you know, just maybe getting something out of guys' comfort zones because I've been having a lot of success with them. And like we talked about where our water temperature's at, we're going to have kind of that prolonged pre-summer bite while things catch up basically. And I've been throwing a lot of swim baits, you know, and obviously we only a couple days this year, but you know, in the past as well. Um, and I really like that, you know, regular swimming dog um, by Musk Innovations. It's uh, it kind of fits this time of year really well for where I'm at. Um, you know, a couple tips that I'll do, and it, it was literally something I saw today. Um, at one of our schools, John Betty gave me a pile of uh, uh, swim bait leaders. And I'll be honest, I was <laughs> like, all right, a swim bait leader, I guess what's the difference between my other straight wire leaders? But sure, John, I'll give her a try. And fished a swim bait all weekend, moved a bunch of fish on it, caught a really, really, really big pike on it as well. Um, and then you know, thought, yeah, it works nice, great. Well, today I was out, put the swim bait on a different leader, not paying attention. And at the speed I was, you know, contacting and, and caught that big pike over this weekend, I'm like, God, why is this thing running on its side? You know, I really, I had to slow down more than I wanted to, to get it to stay 
uh, how I wanted the action. And I realized I was thrown on a different leader, switched back to that uh, swim bait leader, and that lure came to life. And I think the key to that is that welded ring to the split ring really frees that bait up to wobble two directions versus, you know, your regular snap to it, where it's going to kind of hinder the action of the bait a little bit. Um, so, you know, it's leaders seem simple, but it doesn't do you any good if you buy a $50 lure and have the wrong leader on it, especially with, you know, some of these smaller lures that are a real leader sensitive. Um, you know, if you get a, you, you can just get more out of your bait by pairing the right leader with the right lure. And uh, I think that'll help guys catch more fish, not only this spring with that swim bait tip, but just really understanding your leaders and lure matchups uh, for the whole season will help put more fish in the boat. For sure. And, you know, we, we did uh, have a podcast with John Betty just not too long ago with Stealth Tackle. And um, we talked about some of that pairing. So that's fitting. Oh, perfect. You know, and, and I um, definitely encourage people to go look at his product just to kind of see, you know, the pairing is there. You know, yeah, there's it's it's not just to make money that he came up with all these different leaders. It's because, exactly. it's because guys like you and I will relay that information. John's an awesome guy. He'll, you know, we invite him to our schools. He was at the Geneva one. And, you know, it, it really is about it, it, it's a pairing to get the most out of your lure. And, 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 you know, why hinder that bait? So the podcast Brad was referring to, if you skipped over episode three, episode three is the one with John Betty and John's got a lot of tips in there about uh, leaders and, and pairing them with different baits and how they can affect the action on different baits. So if you guys haven't checked out episode number three, go back and check that one out. That one's a good one from John too. So anyways, uh, I think that pretty much wraps up the, uh, the Pete and Brad show from tonight. If, uh, <laughs> It's like the itchy and scratchy show. Yeah, pretty much. Same thing. <laughs> is that old again? Damn it. Yeah, that is. Yeah, that is. <laughs> Most people aren't going to know what you're talking about, Pete. Um, well, they usually don't. Anyways, cheap plug. If you're looking for either the swim bait leader or the regular swimming dog from Muskie Innovations, you can find that on my website, uh, teamrhinooutdoors.com. Pete, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you if they're looking to book a trip? Uh, my website, PeteRichGuide.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook at Pete Rich Guide Service. Um, and it's got all the information you need there. I'm on uh, Facebook daily if guys ask questions. Uh, Ryan McMahon also. Ryan McMahon and I also have a page on Facebook called The Musky School, um, where we put take slides from our seminars, and there's a ton of good information on there. One with schools we have upcoming, and two with you know old slides and. We just put a ton of info on there so guys can get some interaction there as well. Hey, Grandpa Brad, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? <laughs> well, you can reach us pretty much Messenger on vision. social media. <laughs> um, my wife's good with social media and, and the technical side. So um, both through Facebook, Instagram, as well as uh, our website, which is muskymamtackle.com. Perfect. So now, as of this as of this recording, you can now find our uh, this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and TuneIn. The only one we're waiting for yet is Google Play. So you guys should be able to find our podcast in a bunch of different bunch of different places. As of now, we also have a 
Backlash Podcast Facebook page. We have a Backlash Podcast Instagram page. And again, we have the Backlash Podcast at gmail.com. That is our email address. So if you have any questions, you want to be a guest, you want us to try to track down a guest that you're looking for us to talk to, um, and we can certainly talk to bass walleye muskie pike i mean we can cut we can hit it all obviously our passion generally is uh fish with teeth we're looking for pike and muskies mostly but you know we could certainly hit up a couple different topics um as well right brad no doubt about it you know the the neat thing about fishing and (laughs) we can learn something from those walleye guys we can learn something from the bass guys and we can tie it all back together with muskies so it's important i think it'd be a good good topic to bring on the show our fish are eating their fish. So to understand our fish, we need to know where they're eating. <laughs> well, I always tell everybody that these walleyes are in packs and they're hunting these muskies. So, <laughs> Damn, is the DNR going to cut back stocking now that I said that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we won't even go there. <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, th- thank you for having me on. I was going to say, this was episode five of the Backlash podcast. Thank you for coming out, Pete. We really appreciate you spending some time with us. I am I hope a lot of people enjoy the information you brought to the table tonight. I thought it was really good. Uh, once again, thank you for coming out and talking to me, Brad. It's always good to have your old school mentality on our podcast. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah, see you guys. Yeah, have a good night. <laughs>